Well, welcome everybody uh, to Grace. Welcome to Father's Day weekend. Thanks for being here and uh, celebrating with us and making this part of your day. It's, uh, it's good to see you guys. Uh, I want to get into a conversation with you, but why don't we pray first? Will you do that with me? Let's just bow our heads and uh, we'll pray together. Jesus, we love you and we're grateful to uh, be here today. And Lord, uh, I, I know when we walk into these environments, we, we carry kind of our day and our week with us. So all of the, the pressures, the, the joys, the sorrows, and the distractions that come with us, God. And so I pray that as we come kind of into your presence and hear from your word for a few minutes, that you would clear our head and clear our heart a little bit and let us just focus on you. Lord, the, the, the struggles of our families, of our life, of our work, and even our culture and our nation. Father, I just <clears throat> I lift up in a special way uh, the church in Charleston this weekend. Lord, I know they're gathering this morning. And Father, I pray that you surround them, Holy Spirit, that you comfort and help, and that they can sense that the, the whole of the body of Christ is with them. Them and believers across the world that are undergoing persecution, God, that we love and pray and ask for your help with. Lord, of course, we want to celebrate Father's Day in a special way today, and so God, we, we do that. I, I just pray a special blessing on all fathers that are at Grace this weekend, and God, I pray that you will encourage them and strengthen them and motivate them. God, we love them, we respect them, we honor them. And uh, we enjoy celebrating and giving them that, that special time of honor here on Father's Day. So we love you, Jesus. Thank you for letting us be together. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, this weekend we're going to uh, really zero in on fatherhood. So I just kind of want to give you a heads up on that, that as we talk this weekend, we're gonna, it's going to sound a little bit different. Uh, those of you who, um, uh, those of you men who have ever come to my, my uh, Bible study, men's Bible study on Tuesday mornings, we start at 7 a.m., you're all welcome to be there, men are welcome to be there. Uh, it's going to sound like we're in Bible study, so we're going to have a little bit of a different tone. I want everyone to know that you're invited to listen in on that. So just like we would kind of give special attention on Mother's Day, we're going to give that on Father's Day. But I'm going to show you some things from God's Word that's going to apply to everyone, but I'm going to apply them to fatherhood in a special way. So uh, just know that and enjoy that, and we'll have fun uh, doing that. I think it's an important conversation and a good one, and, <clears throat> and um, this is why I want to, want to do it this way. Uh, when, when you look across the culture, like the, the fatherless epidemic thing is legit, and we all kind of know it, right? So the, the stats right now are saying that about 40% of teenagers, ninth through 12th grade, do not live in the same home as their biological father. Uh, on the other kind of end of the spectrum, about 40% of children right now are born to a fatherless home. So like fatherhood and lack of it is a big, big deal. A lot of the deterioration that we see in our culture is tied back to that. And so it, it's, it's difficult. And that stat's going to run through our gathering here this weekend, right? So a lot of us who are fathers grew up without a healthy dad or maybe a dad at all in our, in our home. So this is what happens. As I talk to my friends who are fathers, whether you had a, a good father like I did, I was blessed to have a great father, or you, you don't even know who your dad is. What happens, men, is as we get into fatherhood, um, we're... we're kind of committed. We're committed to loving our children, 
and uh, to loving our spouse and trying to have a healthy family. But we tend to do that from a negative or reaction perspective instead of a proactive one. So what we do is we look at our dads. If you have a really unhealthy relationship or even a good one, we tend to look at our dads and say, I'm not going to do that. Like he did that or he didn't do that or whatever it is, and I'm not going to do that. And so we tend to father that way. And, and that kind of drives us and motivates us, but it runs out of gas because we're so committed to not making the mistakes our father made that we don't actually know what our family needs. So we're reacting to something instead of being proactive with it. And I find this a lot in my own fathering. I have six children, so my own fathering and, and my friend's fathering, we kind of look and say, you know, I'm trying my best. I don't actually know what I'm doing. And that, by the way, that's legit. Every dad's a rookie, and every phase of fathering is a rookie because all your kids are different. So there is no, like, manual on it, right? So we don't know what we're doing, <clears throat> and we kind of stare at the ceiling at night, and in general fatherhood or maybe a struggle with one of our children, and we're like, I don't actually know what to do with it. And we want to lead, and we want to invest, and we're not really sure how to do that. So what I want to do this weekend is I want to take you into a part of God's Word, it's a part of the Bible, that's going to give you some, some assignments. And these assignments apply to everyone who's a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm just going to personally apply them to fatherhood for, for the weekend. But all of you can, you know, glean something from this. But these assignments can become default positions for us. So when I'm not sure what to do and I'm not sure what decision to make, you're going to be able to fall back on these five assignments and if you do those, you're going to position yourself in such a way that God joins you and empowers you and will help you kind of sort out the details as you, as you go forward, okay? And so I'm going to walk you through that, and I'm going to show you how to put skin on this and uh, kind of give you some tools to work with on Father's Day, all right? So grab your Bibles, open them up. If you've got them, to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, there's some there in the chairs. Uh, it's page 802 in those Bibles that are in the chairs. And if, you're, uh, if you want to use your phone or electronic device, we use the Uversion app. So you can open that up. Just search Grace Church on it, and uh, you'll find us there. We're the Bath Campus, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 16. This is verse uh, 13 and 14. We're going to look at this. This is the Apostle Paul. What he's doing is he's writing the early church. It's what 1 Corinthians is. It's a letter to a group of people. He's writing the early church, and he's kind of putting a summary for them of what it kind of takes to follow Jesus Christ. And this is where this conversation applies to everyone. He's looking at followers of Jesus Christ. He's saying, if, if you're going to follow Christ and your life is going to be defined by Christ, these five characteristics are going to have to be woven into your heart and to your life. It's going to take this stuff to be successful at that. And we're going we're gonna to take that, like I said, apply it to fatherhood in a unique way. So here they are, verse 13, chapter 16, 1 Corinthians. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. And Paul says you've got you to have these five things woven into your life. Be on your guard, be, uh, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything in Love, And I want to pick these apart. I want to show you how this shows up uniquely in the biblical perspective of, of fatherhood, okay? So let's just start looking at it. Uh, look at uh, verse 13, first part there. First thing Paul says is, he says, here's assignment number one, be on your guard, be on your guard. Now, when Paul wrote this, if you were reading this in the original language, 
Um, Greek, uh, we, we translated out of Greek into English. That's how we got the English Bible, right? So Greek has a tone to it. And the tone that, that Paul would have said this in or written this in, we would think of it as a military tone. So for the modern ear, when we hear be on your guard, we would think of it as like be on patrol or be alert or you're on guard duty, right? Is the, is the way that we would, we would think of it. In the ancient world, you would have translated that with the same tone, but you would have heard it something along the lines of stand guard or be a sentry on the wall or at the gate. And that's the way the ancient world worked, right? So the cities are surrounded by the gate. The gate would have a sentry, they would have a guard. And that sentry's job was to look beyond the walls, beyond uh, the gate, and to be alert for any oncoming danger. So the sentry would look out and he would see an animal or he would see an enemy, whatever it was, and his job was to stand guard, to be alert, and then he would do several things if he saw danger coming. He would warn and he would call the other guards, right, to come to the, to the gate. He would warn, go back, and he would kind of call for protection of the family. So kind of like uh, put the women and children in a safe place idea. And then if that enemy came and attacked that gate, that sentry would have been the first one to draw the sword and the first one to engage that enemy. So that's the idea, that we are to be on our guard. We're to foresee things that could endanger or hurt us. And as a father, I stand at the gate of my home and I see oncoming danger. I translate it correctly for my family and I take a place of protection, a place of prevention, and I help them to understand that. And that's what a father does. You're going to see that all through the scripture. When you read about fatherhood, you're going to read about the strength, the protective nature of the father. And that's what God has called us to. And men, when we think about fathering and leading our families, this is the idea. The idea is that you are to wake up every morning and realize the world that you live in. And you are to stand guard, be on guard for your family that God has entrusted you with. Now, when I say realize the world we live in, I, I am not primarily talking about the, the disintegration of our present culture. The Bible elevates that view very strongly and very clearly, and it would say this. The Bible would say, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers and forces of this dark world. So when God looks at a father and says, you need to be on guard, you need to stand at the gate of your home, what he's saying primarily is you need to wake up every morning and realize that your family just woke up in the middle of a battlefield. And the battlefield is for their soul. And you have an enemy that hates you. He hates the devil, hates your wife, hates your children. He hates them. And his greatest joy, John 10, 10, is to seek to kill, destroy, cheat, and lie to them. So there is an aggressor at the door of your home always, like a lion prowling is the, the image that the Bible uses. And he wants to break in and he wants to devastate your family. And that's what your family wakes up in every day. You layer then on top of that a culture that is 
is determined to use your family. The culture doesn't love your family. The culture wants to consume your family and sees your family as a consumer. And then you layer on top of that just the sinful nature of people, that there's all kinds of people that want to hurt and harm your family, right? And the visual is that between that evil and that world and this family is a father. And that father is on guard, right? And he's looking and he's foreseeing the things that are coming at his family and he's translating that to the best of his ability for his family. So a father is gonna look out and they're gonna see practical dangers, like a financial danger. And we're not making that decision, we shouldn't do this. A father's gonna look out and he's gonna see relational dangers. You, you're not allowed to date that guy. You, I don't want you to become friends with that. A father's gonna look out and he's gonna see relation or uh, emotional dangers. Hey, listen, we don't use those tones. Don't call your sister ugly. Like all this kind of thing, right? We're gonna foresee what that would mean. And a father's gonna look out and he's gonna see spiritual dangers. Sweetheart, if you make this decision, that decision leads to these decisions. It's gonna take you down a path that you don't wanna go down. And the father translates and the father is on guard, and the father looks out, and the father protects, and the father calls for backup, and he is the first to pull his sword and fight if that's what he has to do. And that's, the, that's a biblical image of a father, right? Now you take that then, and you, you start translating fatherhood. Like if I'm to be on guard, what does that mean that I'm not? And you can go back into the scriptures and you're not going to find a lot of the stereotypical images that our culture would promote as fatherhood. So you're not going to find in the Bible the idea of a passive father. The, the, the dad on the couch is watching ESPN and having a beer and not paying any attention to his family ever. You will not find that image in the scripture. It's not acceptable to God. Uh, you will not find an absent father in the Bible, that's, that's never something the Bible calls for. So the hobby dad, right, always on the golf course, the workaholic dad, the dad that's always in the garage, the dad that never visits the kids, right? You're not gonna find that image as an acceptable image in the scripture. You're not gonna find the spiritually absent father in the Bible. So nowhere in the Bible is the concept that, you know, honey, you take the kids to church, pray with them, tell them a Bible story or something. You're never gonna find that in the Bible. It's always, it's always the father leading his family toward Christ, right? And you're never, ever, ever gonna find God promoting the idea that the father is the one who introduces the danger to his family. Taught my boy how to drink. Showed him a thing or two about women on the internet. Ne never, ever are you gonna find that in the Bible. The image that God is going to define and promote is the father that's on guard. If that world is gonna hurt these people, it's gonna to have to go through me to do it. Because I stand watch, I stand guard. I'm the sentry of my home, and that's where I've, what I've called to live, okay? So that's where Paul starts it. And he looks out, like I said, it's to all believers, but we're applying it to fatherhood today, but we're to be on guard, aware of the world that we live in. Look back at the verse, verse 13. He goes on, be on your guard. And then the second thing he says is stand firm 
in the faith, stand firm in the faith, and this is this idea that a father is to lead his family toward an understanding and a relationship with Christ and never away from it. So the idea of standing firm in the faith is this, that I've interacted with God, that God has changed my life, that I am translating the Bible into my life, what James calls humbly accepting the word of God planted in me. So I'm taking the truths of the Bible and, and allowing it to change my mind and change my life and my heart, right? And I've anchored myself in that faith and my faith in Christ is the anchor, it's the mooring point that I live off of as a person, and then if I'm a father, as, as a father. So stand firm in the faith. Now, this is huge. This is huge, and, and let me tell you why. Here's the stats, here's the stats. The research says this, if, if a family is not a family of faith, if they're not followers of Jesus Christ, the research says this, if mom accepts Christ as her savior and starts going to church and growing in Christ and all those kind of things. If mom does that, there's about a 30 to 35% chance that the family will follow her in the faith. About a 30 to 35% chance that the whole family will follow her in the faith. Now, ready? Buckle up. If a father accepts Christ as his savior, there's over a 90% chance that the family will follow him into the faith. Now listen, men, listen to me. Your wife is not the one who sets the spiritual tone in your family. And that's nothing against women, nothing against moms. It's just the way it is. It's the father who sets the spiritual tone in the family. And where you go spiritually is where your family will go with you. Now here's the, mo here's the most sobering thing I'm going to say all weekend. Ready? Every study shows, psychological, sociological, and I would argue theologically, every study shows this, ready? Children define their view of God through their father. You are illustrating to your children who God is and how God wants to interact with them. It is an enormous responsibility and an amazing opportunity. And when you follow, as you pursue God, your children are going to pursue God in the way that you pursue God. Now here's the deal. You have three options as a dad. You can take your children and your family away from God, and lots and lots of dads do that. They ignore God, God's unimportant, he's for the weak, he's for the dumb, whatever, you know. Lots and lots of people, take, lots and lots of men take their families away from God. Here's the second option. You can define God as irrelevant with your passivity. And I don't go to church, it's dumb, it's, you know, they, they just want you to tithe and show up and do, like, you, can, you can define God through your passivity and your children will become passive about their relationship with God. Here's your third option. Your third option is you can take your children and your family to God. So you can, you, can, you can make Christ the focal point of the family, and everything we do revolves around Christ and his church and loving the people God has called us to love. So you can take them away from God, you can tell them that God's irrelevant, or you can take them from God. This is what you cannot do, ready? You cannot be neutral. Because they will go where you go. You cannot not influence your children and your family, 
right? Because they're going to follow you. Your wife, their mother does not set the tone. You do. And your children will mirror your relationship and dedication to God. Big, big deal. So when Paul says stand guard, he's not joking around. When he says stand firm in the faith, you anchor yourself here. And everything around you, right, everything around you is rooted in that faith. That's hard. Now, that's a big deal. And that's a hard thing. It's a, it's a heavy thing. I want to I wanna give you some good news with it, right? Because I'll be honest with you, I hate it. When, I've hated it when I've come to church over the years and people yelled at me. That's why I don't yell at you. We're, we're adults. We can all talk like normal human beings, right? So that's why I don't scream when I'm talking. I also hated it when I came to church and they would throw out this big conviction and then like leave it there. And so my job is to go home and feel guilty and like a loser, <laughs> right? So I want to I wanna give you this, the prescription to the diagnosis, okay? This is the fact, that's the way it's gonna work. Here's the prescription, here's the good news. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to do something about that. You do not have to grow up with a Christian heritage to do something about that. You could have accepted Christ a week ago and you can change the tone of your family, okay? This is why. Because it doesn't matter how you instruct your children, okay? So family devotion time, or what I like to call family fight night, right? So when, when you, they, if you're good at that or not, that's not the issue. Here's the way that you're gonna instruct your children, you're gonna teach them to follow God, ready? It's with your life. So as you follow Christ, they will follow you. As you follow Christ, they will follow you. So it's not whether you can quote the Bible inside and out, it's whether you listen to the parts that you know about. It's not whether you grew up going to church your whole life, it's whether you make that a priority now. See? And as your spiritual temperature heats up, it will spill over onto your children. That's the good news, right? So you haven't blown it, you're not done, you're not out of the game, but this is the facts and it is the influence that you're gonna have but you can alter that by simply responding to Christ yourself, right? And that's where James says you humbly accept the word planted in you. Find out what the Bible says and do it. And that will, that will alter the trajectory, okay? So back to the verse. Paul says be on your guard, right? Stand firm in the faith. Here's the third thing he says. He says be courageous. Be courageous. Now it's fascinating. That term be courageous when you take the Bible, remember I told you, the Bible, we got it in the Greek and we translated it over to the English so we could read it. When you translate that phrase word for word, what it actually says is this. It actually says, be courageous, act like men. That's what it says. Be courageous, act like men. The reason it says that is because in the ancient world, courage was only associated with masculinity. Courage was only associated with masculinity, right? It's just the way they thought, it's no big deal. Courage was only associated with masculinity. So it was the idea of this, that when you thought of courage, you thought of masculinity, you thought of men 
acting courageously. Now you think about this in the ancient world. If you were getting attacked by an animal, it was the man who went and fought it. If somebody was coming in and raiding your crops, it was the men who would grab the swords and the spears and they would go out and fight it. It was the men who would stare down an enemy. It was the, it was the men who went to battle. It's the men who sacrificed their life. You would hide the women and children and the men would go do it. And so when Paul is writing this and he's talking about courage, he was, tr- he was writing that into the context that they would understand it, act like a man. And in many ways, in our modern culture, we still expect that from each other. We'll tell each other that, won't we, guys? We'll be like, I like a man. Quit being a baby. Suck it up. Right? We, we still expect that. Act like a man. Paul says, you, if you're going to be on guard, you're going to stand firm in the faith, you're going to have to be courageous. And if there was ever a time in our culture that courage is needed that strong fathers find their spine, it's today. That courage is needed. And this is what happens when a father is courageous. When a father is courageous, he doesn't become a brute or a controller. That's nonsense. When a father is courageous, what happens is this. A father can do something that's unique to fatherhood. Just like mothers do things that are unique to motherhood, a father can do something that's unique to fatherhood. And one of the things that a father does uniquely is they cut through noise and get to the bottom line. And a courageous father who thinks clearly and who's rooted in faith can cut through the noise of a culture or the noise of emotion and he can bottom line something so that he gets down to the truth and he presents that truth courageously. A father, unlike other people, can get down to the bottom line. So a father, for instance, can courageously define right from wrong. Dad, the reason I did this and that and the other thing is, you know, I was, you know, son, uh, the reason you did that is because you wanted to do it and you decided to lie about it. No, here's my 14 reasons. Yeah, I don't care. You wanted to do it and you decided to lie about it. See, a father uniquely can cut through that noise and get to the bottom line of right and wrong and then define it courageously. A father can uniquely define what is moral and immoral, right? What is good and evil. A father can look at a current event like the, the, the shooting in, in Charleston and all the noise from the culture is going to come in on that, that perspective, right? Well, there was mental illness. He was raised in a really bad home. And, and a father with courage can cut through that and say, you know what? The guy was just evil. There is good. There is evil. There are millions of people that struggle with all kinds of different mental illnesses. They never do anything like that. He was evil. He was inspired by the devil. And his acts came directly from the pit of hell. That's what happened. And a father with courage can cut through that clarity and say, let's just get down to the heart of the matter. You bring that courage then into the home. A father with courage, grace, mercy, respect, gentleness, but with courage can look at his daughter and say, you're not wearing that. But it's in style, but I don't care. There's modest, there's immodest, that's immodest, and every boy that looks at you is going to lust at you and objectify you. That's why you're not wearing it. They can look at their son and say, you're not going to behave that way. Why not? We don't talk about girls like that in this house. We don't watch pornography in this house. 
well, Dad, everybody, I don't care what everybody's doing. Those women are daughters of the Most High God. They are your sisters in Christ, and you will not interact with them that way. That's not what a man does. And a father cuts through all of that. He brings it to a bottom line. He's not going to be as concerned about all the emotional. No, no, no. I understand it. It just doesn't matter. There's a bottom line. And if there was ever a time that the culture could use a spine from godly men, it's right now. And your family needs that too. And that's the unique role of a father. I'm guarding this home. I'm rooted in the faith. And I'm going to, without apology, express what that looks like, how that works, and how that could and should show up in your life. Look back at the verse, he goes on. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, or act like men, and be strong. The idea of being strong is this. If I'm on guard, right, I'm standing in the faith, I'm acting courageously, guess what's gonna happen? I'm gonna take heat for it, right? So if I, if I speak the truth and it's a difficult truth and it hits the internet, I'm gonna get blasted on the internet for it. It is the way the world works. And you bring that all the way down into your home, then I'm going to have to be strong. And the tone there is, you would kind of put it in this imagery, that the father is a fortress. And the father is a place of security and certainty. When in doubt, I can run to my dad. And he will protect me. He will not lose his mind. He will not go off the deep end. He is strong. And if you're going to be on guard and you're going to stand firm in the faith and you're going to be courageous, then that strength is going to be necessary. And sometimes that strength is a matter of strength in a culture. Sometimes that strength is going to show up in your family, right? So here's the danger. Here's our faith. Here's the decision. And you're going to pay for that sometimes. You're going to have a teenager up in your face. You don't understand me. You don't love me. And you're making my life miserable. Sorry about that, honey. I feel really bad. Although I have to admit it's a little bit fun. But this is what the decision is going to be. Right? It takes a strength. Daddy, they hurt me. You, You come here. Dad will take care of that. I, the, all my friends want to, and I just don't know what, you tell them your dad said no. The teacher is saying, you tell them your father said you're not doing that. They can call me. See, it's strength. And we have to lead our faith. Honestly, fellas, sometimes we have to lead our wives that way, right? But we're not going to talk about that in here. We'll talk about it on Tuesday morning. <laughs> There's a reason why Tuesday morning is not put on a podcast. I'm just saying it helps us all to live a little bit more safely. But, right, it, it's a... But it's the way of it, and it's a unique thing that is ascribed to fatherhood, that there's a strength, and a godly father will live that way, and you can count on him to do that, right? Now, I love what Paul does with this. So he goes through verse 13, and he lays out those four qualities, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and then in verse 14, he sums it all up and he says this, do everything in love. And that phrase right there is huge because that phrase erases all the idea of brutishness. I'm your dad, you do what I said. I'm the man of this house. By the way, if you have to say you're the man of the house, then you're not. But it's a, right, so all the control and the manipulation all gets erased right there. 
So you look at all those four qualities and you look at them in their purity because they're done in love. And the image there that Paul is striking at is Christ. So Christ is love. And the Bible tells us that Jesus demonstrated the full extent of his love through his sacrifice, his passion, and his death on the cross. So Jesus was on guard. He knew that hell was coming, so he got in between us and hell. Jesus was firm in the faith, obviously. Jesus was crazy. He acted like a man. He endured the cross. Jesus was beaten, sped upon, mocked, humiliated, his beard ripped out, the crown of thorns. He didn't flinch, right? He could have tapped out anywhere in there and destroyed the creation that he, he destroyed the earth. He never did. Jesus had a spine a mile wide, right? And then he was strong. He's our fortress, our shelter in a time of storm, right? So the image there is Christ. And a godly father executes all of these characteristics in love, never for selfish reasons. I never, as a father, I'm never to use my authority to get what I want. Shut up, you're getting on my nerves. That's not the reason God put you in charge. It's never selfish. It's always selfless. It's always sacrificial. It's always for the family, never against the family. And it's always in love, in love for Christ and in love for the people that Christ has entrusted me with. And I grab those things, right? And God says, you weave these into your life. Now, listen, Dad, I know you don't always know what to do, right? I don't either. But I can look at these five things. I, I can look and realize, well, these are defaults. When in doubt, be on guard. When in doubt, stand in the faith, right? See how that works? And what happens is when I don't know what to do and I, I go to one of these defaults, what, I, what I've done is I've aligned myself with the heart of God. And when I've aligned myself with the heart of God, all of a sudden God is going to empower my fathering. I don't know, really know what I'm doing, but I know that God's with me. And he's gonna walk me through these details and I'm gonna be able to get my family to the place that they need to be at. And when I align myself with the heart of God, what's gonna happen is because I do lead my family spiritually, I cannot not do that. When I align myself with the heart of God, I've just aligned my family with the heart of God. And my children are gonna respect and love, my wife's gonna respect and love, right? That's the way it works. And, th and this is what happens. When I live like that, I'm being the father God's called me to be. Now listen, you have to divorce yourself of the idea of doing this perfectly. There's no such thing. So, so we get in our mind, like, there's this great dad out there, and I can't be that dad, right? So that great dad out there, he's only a great dad because you don't live with him, right? And you're right, you can't be that perfect dad. That's not the point. The point is that you were purposed in your fatherhood, and you were passionate about your fatherhood. You gave yourself to what God gave you. So it's the purpose and the passion that communicates, not the perfection. So what happens is this. When I live as a purposeful, passionate dad, when my children get old, they will laugh about my imperfections. Remember that time where, remember Mulch Day? Dad always lost it on Mulch Day. And he was always like, you guys are lazy. And by the way, Mulch Day was Friday at our house. And you guys are lazy and you're idiots. You don't do anything fast. Remember, oh, Mulch Day. 
Or, or remember that time we were on vacation and dad just lost it in the van and he got out of the van, started walking down the road and said he's going to get an airline ticket and go home, which kind of happened. But, it, it, right? So I didn't walk very far. But, but it's a, right? So what happens is you wind up laughing about your dad's imperfections because you trust his heart. Now, when you don't have a purposeful, passionate father, those same imperfections are wounds. Remember how he would lose it on Malt's Day? He's such an idiot. He lost about everything. Remember the one time he's like, let's take a great trip, and he blows up on vacation? See how that works? Guys, listen, it, it has nothing to do with perfection has everything to do with the positioning of your heart. Your children are going to forgive your imperfections a thousand times over. They're going to laugh at you. They're going to tease you about it when you get older. If your heart is in sync with the Lord and with them, if you decide to live for something else, and that's kind of what happened to a lot of us. So we react And in our effort not to be our dad, we become just like him. That's the way it works. So these defaults, see, that's all they are because we're all rookies at everything. Even if your children are grown children, you still don't know what to do with them because you've never had grown children before. And you've never had that kid be a grown child before. Everything in fatherhood is a rookie. But if I have the default of godliness, It's going to sync us up. Now, I want to show you something. I want to show you that this, what we just talked about, works, and I want to prove it to you, okay? So whether you had a a good dad or a decent dad or a terrible dad, right, I want to show you that you can be a godly father and that being a godly father will affect your children and draw them close to your heart and more importantly, close to the heart of God. I'm gonna prove it to you. I wanna prove it to you by telling you about my father. So I had a great dad, but I had a dad that had absolutely nothing to work with when it came to fatherhood. My father had a terrible father. My grandfather never once in my whole dad's life told him he loved him. My father never heard those words from his father. Never heard he was proud, ever. My mother said of her father-in-law that he was the most cruel man she'd ever met, which is amazing when she was raised by an abusive alcoholic. So my father had nothing to work with. He had no spiritual heritage at all. Did not grow up in church, did not know the Bible, did not have a godly example in his life. Zip. My father did not come to know Christ really until he was in his mid-30s. He was already fathering when he came to know Christ. But my father had a simple faith. He loved Christ. He loved his family. He would read the Bible and he would literally just kind of do what the Bible said. And so this, this godliness became his default position. And in that, my father broke every chain of addiction, every chain of dysfunction, 
every chain of abuse. All of my father's children know and follow Christ. All of his grandchildren know and follow Christ. And my brother and I and two of my nephews are both, my, my father's produced four pastors and many godly people. And he had nothing to work with, right? Now I wanna show you guys, I wanna show you this. I wanna give you some hope and some inspiration. And I wanna show you how this can wind up for you by simply doing something as simple as read the Bible and do it, all right? So I wanna read you a letter that I wrote my dad the year before he died. So I wrote this to my dad for his birthday. His birthday was in February, he died in September. And I want you to, I wanna prove to you that this works, okay? So my dad died about seven years ago. Be honest with you, I haven't had the ability to read this publicly till now, so we'll give this a shot. All right, here you go. Dear Dad, I'm sitting here tonight thinking of your birthday, 74. Boy, Dad, you're really old. <laughs> I was thinking of how grateful I am to be able to celebrate this birthday with you. I remember vividly the dark days in our family when I thought we were going to lose you. At the time, I'm not, surely I fully, I'm not sure I fully understood what it would have meant to my life if you were no longer in it. But as the years have passed and I have matured, I realize how devastated I would have been. I remember being in college, especially my freshman year, when we almost lost you again. You asked me the other day if I remember taking you from the grocery store to the hospital. And to be honest, I remember what seems to be every detail of that day. I remember you not feeling well. I remember looking for your nitro pills. I remember them not working. And I remember driving you to the hospital. I remember you telling me to hurry. I remember rushing into the ER and telling the nurses that my dad was having a heart attack. I remember sitting in the waiting room praying to God and telling him that I needed my father, that I wasn't, that I wasn't man enough to make it without him. I remember when you were in the ICU and the nurses told me that I needed to call mom and tell her to get there right away. I remember holding Susan, my sister, in the waiting room and seeing the doctors burst through the doors rushing you somewhere as they tried to save your life. I remember spending the night sleeping on the floor of the waiting room so I could be with mom and close to you. The funny thing is, is that these are not bad memories. Maybe a little traumatic, but not bad. At the same time that I remember those moments, I also tend to remember, remember our, our lighter times. I remember when you built a trailer for my bike. I remember when we took a bike trip and spent the night in the woods. I remember when we would go and shoot guns together. I remember helping you work on the car. I remember our vacations, especially our trip out west. <clears throat> I remember greeting you when you came home from the foundry and I would meet you at the basement steps and you would always save me something from your lunch and you would give it to me as you took your boots off because mom wouldn't let you upstairs with your dirty boots on. I remember on Saturdays, it seemed that we would always wake up as to the pounding of a hammer or the scream of a power tool. I remember when you sang in church. I remember the props that you made for Bible camp with mom. 
I remember you leading the business meetings. I remember you praying with me at night. I remember seeing you kneel beside your bed in prayer. I remember the night that you told me that your father died. I realize now that all these things are part of my character and they form a foundation on which the Lord has built over the years. Mom says, the older I get, the more, the more I'm like my father. And it's funny because the older I get, the more I want to be like you. So dad, in so many ways, you are my hero. For some people, their heroes are great athletes or great intellectuals or maybe a wealthy businessman, but not me. My father, my hero, went to work at 4 a.m. and came home dirty. My hero poured his heart into our little church. My hero buried his sister and her husband and their five children and then raised their surviving child as his own. My hero slaved at a foundry so that his kids could go to a private school. My hero was as stubborn as a mule and as funny as a stand-up comic. My hero overcame his own father's shortcomings. My hero loves my mother. <clears throat> my, father, my hero demanded that his children go to college because he wanted more for them than he could ever, than was ever afforded him. My hero taught me to have courage to do what's right, to work hard, to never lie, and to be generous with all that God has given me. Dad, I've never heard you tell a lie. I've never heard a curse word come out of your mouth. I've never seen you be rough with mom. I've never known you to say one thing and do another. What a privilege to have this be the only thing I've experienced from my father. Dad, I think this is how we survive the dark days. Even when your health was gone and when money was in short supply and you and mom were realizing the loss of so many of your dreams and aspirations, I never, I, ne I never saw your faith falter your love wane or your integrity fail. You just kept on trucking and lived life the best way you knew how. I realize now how this example gave me an inner fortitude to face life, to lead my family, and to lead my church. Dad, I'm grateful to the Lord that he has given you to me. I needed you to know my wife and to love my children and to be proud of who I've become. And I realize every day that I've never lost the need for my dad to see me and to believe in me.
that I think this is the inheritance you're leaving me. We both know there's no money coming. (laughs) But you've given me something more valuable. You've given me my example of who I should become. For me, integrity, courage, honesty, grit, joy, and love are not far off concepts that I might someday understand. For me, these ideas are you. I only need to look at your life when I need to understand which path to take and which investment to make. This inheritance is more precious than gold or silver. It's truly priceless and I will value it all in my days. So dad, on the 74th year of your amazing life, Know that your children love you. That your son admires you. And he's proud to carry your name. And his great hope is that one day he'll grow up to be just like his old man. I love you, Pop. And I'm tremendously proud to be your son. Now... Now listen, fathers, you look at me. My dad earned that letter. He earned it. He had no advantage. It didn't come naturally to him. He didn't have a special anointing from God. He gave his life to Jesus, and he gave his life to his family, and he just did what the Bible said. He didn't know any better. And he earned it. And when his children surrounded his bed as he took his last breath. That's who we saw. We saw a man that loved Christ and loved us. That's who we respected. That's who we honored. You're not going to get that from your boss. You're not going to get that from your golfing buddies, from your drinking friends. I want one of those. You take every diploma I have, every plaque I've ever gotten, burn it if you just give me that. 
right? And I bet you're like me. That's what we want to do. We just are no good at it. Well, neither was the old man. It's, it was simple. It's not complicated. It's really not. He loved Christ. He allowed himself to be changed by Christ. And we followed him as he followed God. All right. I think this is the takeaway for this weekend, all right? Number one, men, earn your letter. Earn it. By the way, it's never too late to earn it. Because you don't stop being a father until the minute they put you in the ground, and even after they do, you're still fathering your children. It never goes away. So if you've blown it and you're full of regret, you can change it, you can change it now, and your children will remember that. So earn your letter. Here's the second thing. If your dad has earned his letter, give it to him. Right? If your old man has earned his letter, give it to him. It's got nothing to do with perfection. But if you've seen a guy that's tried his best to love you and all of his imperfections, you see a guy that tries to let, then let, give him his trophy. Don't, don't uh, assume that you know how you feel about each other. That's dumb. So if your dad's earned his letter, give him his letter. Here's the last thing. Every Father's Day, growing up, when I went to church, I would hear that God is a father to the fatherless. And I heard it so much it became a cliche and I never paid attention to it. And I want you to know that God is a God who is the father to the fatherless and please don't let that become a cliche to you. It's not your dad who's going to save you or change you, it's your heavenly father. It's only your dad following Christ, see. So if you don't have the privilege of having a godly dad or a committed dad, that, that's very difficult, it truly is but you have a heavenly father that does love you, does warn you, does protect you, does give you faith, and is strong and does it all in love. And if you will let him love you like that, and especially for Father's Day, especially those of us who are dads. When you don't have the example in your dad, you have a heavenly father that will father you. He will be your example if you let him. He will let you break these chains. Your children. I can't relate to the way my dad grew up. It's totally foreign to me. Because he locked into his heavenly father, right? Your children can completely not understand your childhood and it's a good thing. 
It's all right there. It's all been provided by Christ. Because we have a Father, Heavenly Father, who's a Father to the fatherless, all right? Earn your letter. Write your letter. Follow your Father. Right. You pray with me. The band will come up. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for providing us a way to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. <laughs> You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. Nobody comes to the Father unless they come through you. So thank you for your strength and your courage and your sacrifice. God, I pray for every father in here and mother and follower of you. God, let us be transformed by you. Let us humble ourselves accept your salvation, accept our need, and accept your answers. And then God, empower us, strengthen us, help us to not grow weary in well-doing, but to be the men you've called us to be. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.